here, good to be home. Um, it's funny, the youth choir up here looking like the uh, seniors choir, <laughs> fanning so hard. <laughs> it got y'all sweating. Um, God, it's, it's good to be back. Um, said we should make this a standing thing. I think last year I did the seven last words and then Youth Young Adult Day, same thing this year. Go ahead and book it for next year, I'll be ready. This would be awesome, yeah. Um, thank you for the, uh, the prayer, Pastor Venice. Uh, thank you for everybody. In case we haven't met, my name is David. Um, and we'll, we'll just jump right on in. Um, we're gonna talk as you can see up there, pretty much on the, uh, the topic of who are you? You know, we spend the most time with ourselves, and I think sometimes ourselves are the only people we don't seem to know. <laughs> um, know a lot of people better and know their ways and know what triggers them, and then we act surprised when we do things, you know. Um, so we just want to spend a little bit of time answering that question today. Um, and I know we just prayed, but I just want to ask, God, uh, Please just push me out of the way. I uh, just pray for the next, you know, 30, 35 minutes um, that you speak, uh, that you would say something valuable, that you would say something worthwhile. Um, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. All right, so um, I did want to start uh, just kind of giving you guys a little glimpse as to um, how we got prepared for today. Um, as sharing with you the, the things that I got when, when I was asked to speak. Um, so first up is this scripture here that you'll see on the uh, screen. Um, I was told that we have, you know, a new scripture for uh, the entire youth, young adult ministry, right? Um, and it said, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. So uh, pretty familiar scripture, uh, Philippians 2, uh, chapter uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. And then I also got this purpose statement that we are using for the uh, youth and young adults. And it says, equipping young adults to identify their purpose and walk effectively in their anointing towards their destiny. And I looked at that and I said, Lord, how am I supposed to preach with that? Because the thing preaches by itself, you know? <laughs> it was like, whoever put this together, and it's, it's beautiful. It's like all of the, the ministry buzzwords are in there, you know, effectively and anointing and, you know, walking, you know, towards your destiny and identifying your purpose. And it all sounds really good, but you know, I had to break it down for myself. Like, okay, what, what's the message that we're saying there? So we can just roll through these next few, Mr. Rodney. Um, equipping, give somebody the tools, pretty much, um, to identify their purpose, which I would say know their why. And then uh, walk, which would mean to carry out, implement, or to use. And then effectively means that it works. It has to work. And then that word anointing that we use all the time would be your God-given gifts. And then when we're talking about destiny today, we're talking about your plan and your identity. So I took all of that together and made my very dumbed-down purpose statement so I could work with, um, which is give young adults the tools to know their why 
and use their God-given gifts in a way that works and fits their God-given identity. Um, which is why we're talking about, uh, now, and me be clear, there was nothing wrong with the purpose statement as it exists. This was for me. <laughs> I had to break it down for myself. You know, so give young adults the tools to know their why and use their, God, and use their God-given gifts in a way that works and fits their God-given identity. So there'll be three big ideas today that we'll talk about to help us uh, get on the road to accomplishing that. Um, and I'm really, really excited about about doing that. So let's roll to the, uh, the scripture again, Mr. Rod. So if we, we take a look at this, anytime that I see a scripture or a verse that says for or starts that way, I think to myself, uh, there has to be something more to that, you know, which is why I highlighted, you know, for. It's like, what, what are we talking about here? Um, so let's roll on, Mr. Rod. You know, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose, which would be his why. Um, and while looking at that, I thought we have to go back. If we're going to understand what God's purpose is, what God's why is, to understand what our purpose is, we're going to have to go back to verse 12. So we wrote that scripture back. And he's, uh, Paul is writing, and he says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then it says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose and his why. So looking at that, before we go any further, what I see is really a lot of work, and I'll tell you why. Um, he says, First off, he says, work out your salvation. Well, what is salvation? We paint these various different pictures of what it is to be a Christian. We hear about the word of God. We hear we become saved, and then it becomes our job to evangelize, tell other people about Christ so that they can become saved. And then God commissions us even further to make disciples out of those people to help them grow and mature as Christians. So again, you heard from somebody else you got saved, and then it becomes your job to minister to somebody else so that they get saved. And then they go and they minister to somebody else so that they get saved. And then they tell somebody else so that they get saved. And then you realize that it's one big pyramid scheme. And so you, you just keep growing and growing and growing. But in addition to evangelizing, like I said, there becomes that whole issue of discipleship. So now, because God has said that we must help each other mature, then that means I have to be open to you getting into my personal life. You have to be able to tell me, you know, and be able to give me good counsel on my finances and how I'm living and my sex life and my dating life and, you know, when I should come to church and when I should do this and how I should serve because God has given you all of that uh, power and all of that authority to help grow and mature me as a mature disciple. But then in addition to me having to, you know, go out and serve and go out and uh, minister to people and give you access to my life, we have to serve inside the house, right? First off, we have to come to the house. We have to be here every Sunday. Um, and, you know, whether we got AC or not, we still got to show up, you know. Um, 
And then we have to not only show up, but then we have to work in the house, right? You know, we tell people that all the time. Can't just be taking up seats on the pew. You got to, you know, one, put your money in the basket to support the work that's going on. And we also need you to teach Sunday school and Vacation Bible School is rolling up too. Make sure you shine up for that. And then we're going to have this uh, bake sale. We need you to sell for that. We need you to show up. We need you to sell some fish for the fish dinner. We need you to do this. We need you to work in the church. So I have to evangelize people. I have to grow people. I have to let you grow me. I have to show up every Sunday. I have to give my money. I have to give my time. I have to give my treasure. And then here's the kicker. See, our marketing in Christianity is so funny because when you're outside the loop, we tell you, come on in because God has promises of a life that is more abundant for you. And come on in because there's peace in here and there's joy. But then once you get in here, what we do is we look you in the face. And one word I've heard used in the church all the time is, who told you this was going to be easy? You told me <laughs> when I was outside, like, come and join the church. And because, you know, God has so much for you. And then we were like, oh, no, 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 no. Once you accepted Christ, there is this mark that's put on your back. And all of hell is working against you. And things don't get easier. They actually get harder. And then this culture that we live in, the way the world is doing things, we actually want you to do it the exact opposite. We want you to go against the grain. We want you to live uncomfortable. The Bible says that you are called out, that you are different, that you are set apart. So you have to do all that. And I'm just telling you what more and more and more what happens is we look at this thing and it seems like a lot of work. And, you know, we ain't going to get a lot of amens on that because, you know, people feel uncomfortable. Like, can I, can I agree? Can I be real about I felt the way that my, you know, so I will be the one to lead with vulnerability that sometimes I'm like, this Christian thing, it will be so much easier, <laughs> you know, to just go with the flow. But, you know, I'll do that for you. Um, you know, so my, my first thought was, you know, work without a why won't work. Work without a why won't work. We can roll that and put that on the screen. Work without a why simply will not work. And let me break that down for you. See, I've been spending, uh, I think it's been five years now, over at Crossroads. And um, one of the the interesting things is we consider ourselves to be a seeker-friendly church, which means that we do a lot of a lot of our budget, a lot of our ministry, a lot of the way we do service is geared towards somebody who, A, would have never, ever walked into church before. So we try to, like, strip away a lot of things that would be distracting for that person. Um, And then what's interesting is in our pursuit of doing that, the people that we get, we get equally as many people who grew up in the church. And I thought that that was interesting. In our effort to get people who have never been in church, we're drawing all of these people who have grown up in the church. And I sat and I wondered why. And, you know, I just want to talk about this. This is not a phallus measuring contest. And, yes, I chose that word so only people of a particular age will know what I'm talking about. You know, I'm just talking about what the difference is and one of the things that I noticed. And we certainly have our problems, too. And so I was looking there, and I'm just like, huh. Why the draw? And so I started having conversations with more and more people. And what I realized, especially people in our generation, one of the things you hear common is, I just didn't understand why 
we do all the things we do in my old church. And you know, you got all these people talking about church baggage. They just never understood why it always seemed that the, the religion and that the principle and that this and the that was always esteemed above the people. They felt like they were always made to work, but then they were never given an explanation. They were never patted on their back. A lot of people had lots of church hurt because pastors and preachers and, and other people in the church and deacons and trustees maybe had said something to them or hurt them and nobody took the time to really address that issue. And so what they were told that they were expected to do all this work, that they were supposed to come in, they were supposed to give their money, they were supposed to give their time, they were supposed to serve, they were supposed to evangelize, they were supposed to work, but nobody was taking care of the person. So they hit a breaking point and they finally left the church. So when they drove down the street and saw a sign that said, giving up on church, but not on God, they said, hey, let me check that place out. So what I, what I wanted to say was we have got to be very careful about how we treat and take care of our people because the building is not the church, right? But the, the, the people is what it was all about. See, the scripture said that we are supposed to do all of this according to his purpose according to his why. So what is his why? The why was you all along. The whole reason we do this thing is for the people, for the relationship with the people, for the hearts of the people, for the feeling of the people. We have got to take care of the people. So the moment that our work becomes more about the work itself, the moment that our work becomes about this building, the moment that our work becomes about that budget, the moment that our work becomes about the pastor, the moment that our work becomes about them, and we lose the point because we are no longer working according to his purpose. See, we can debate different things and different scriptures about what's right and wrong in this text all day long, but what you cannot debate is the Cliff Notes version of the Bible. You got to look and say, God was so full of love that he created people to share love with them. Sin entered the world, and then he was no longer able to be in relationship with them. He got upset. He destroyed the world, and then he said, well, that was counterproductive because I want to be in relationship with him, so he gave him another chance. Instead, Still, we didn't get it right, and because he wanted relationship with the people, he sent a part of himself, not just to be like us, but to die for us and take our place to bridge the gap so that once we walk across the bridge, we are again in relationship with him in our daily life. We're writing out the rest of the story right now, but we already know how it ends. It ends in a wedding ceremony between the church and God, and the through line between the beginning verse of the Bible to the last verse of the Bible is relationship. So the moment we lose relationship, we have lost our why. So I'm not saying that you need to compromise your theology. I'm not saying that you need to compromise all this other stuff. But I am saying is if you really want to be effective in reaching this generation, our generation asks questions. We say, why do we do this? We say, who exactly said, which Bible verse said that every service starts with devotion and then we do this this way and you got to read this particular scripture before we start and then you got to let these people talk and then you got to do this and who said that service has to be run like, who told you that I had to dress this way? We are asking those questions and you can call us debaucherous, you can call us heathens, you can call us lazy, you can call us anything you want, but one thing you cannot deny is we are the future of this church. Yeah. So if 
if we don't understand, what you will see is the mass exodus because remember, we're supposed to be going against the grain. The culture of the world makes a lot of sense to us. And at some point, when you become that 18-year-old and you relate, oh, I don't have to get up <laughs> on Sunday. Like, mama's not going to make me go somewhere. She might give me the evil eye at Sunday dinner. But, you know, I can get over that. You know, the moment you have a choice, if there was not an understanding, a deeper understanding of why we come in this place, this is why we're seeing the loss of our people. Um, let's roll to the next slide. Uh, still on this point, understanding what motivates somebody to work. Um, I saw, you can let that roll to... Uh, yeah, and stop, yeah, keep going, one more, and stop there. All right, so I went to, uh, I didn't go, I did lighting design for something called Ocean, and they are a business accelerator, so we had all of these people come in, and they were kind of like a real-life shark tank, pitching their business ideas, because um, there was like billion-dollar investors in there, you know, that was going to pick one that they really liked and then fund them. So they had this keynote speaker that was talking about entrepreneurship and work, and he was saying some things that I thought was pretty cool, so I stole it and put it in a sermon, <laughs> you know. Um, and one of the things was he was talking about what motivates people to work. Not, I'm not talking about in the church, I'm talking about this idea outside of the church and how this applies. What a lot of people think is it has to be one of these three P's. Perks, pay, or promotion, which makes pretty much good sense. You know, perks, you know, uh, you get to a company car, we serve you coffee, you know, you go to Google, it's like a big old playground when you work for those people. You know, or the pay, the amount of money that you get, or getting promoted. Now, the second tier, Mr. Rodney, if you'll let that roll, he showed how each and every one of those things really doesn't work because, one, perks over time become expectation. So it no longer feels like a perk. It feels like what you're supposed to do. It becomes what I expect of you. So then, like, for the instance of the church, if we start saying, hey, you know, let's do this to get the people in, don't do it if you can't sustain it, because it becomes the expectation. And the moment you stop doing that, people forget that you weren't obligated to do it anyway, and then they leave. Haven't we all experienced that maybe in a friendship, maybe, and other people that we know, like you tried to do something nice and then it became the expectation and the moment you don't do it anymore and they don't want nothing to do with you? Like this is why perks are not successful in motivating people. And then, well, pay has to be, right? Well, so let's roll that and see what he said about pay. A lot of us don't understand that there's actually a motivational peak that happens at $70,000 a year. There are studies that have been shown that people work and work and work, and then as soon as you hit this one amount of money, even though the rest of it's good, you just like, it, it really doesn't do much anymore. Like, um, there was a one CEO who was a billionaire. He reduced his salary all the way down to $70,000 a year so that he could use the rest of his salary to make everybody else's starting salary $70,000 a year in his company. And it was amazing. And then it was like, okay, that's really good. And some of y'all thinking, well, so if I'm under $70,000 a year, then my, my peak is to keep working and working and working to get there. And that's not necessarily true either. He also cited a statistic that, you know, 95% of the mega lottery winners continue to work. They already got money that they need, but 95% of these people continue to work. And it was like, okay, if money is not the issue, if money is not the main motivator, then why? Well, then it must be for a promotion, but that's only temporary. And it's often counterproductive because along with the promotion of the title, you also get more 
work, <laughs> you know? And so if you didn't like what you was doing before, now that you get promoted, <laughs> you really ain't gonna like what you're doing because you're gonna have more responsibility and stuff like that. And the way a lot of people get you is they start you off hourly, right? And you're working and working and working and then you work really hard. You're like, I'm gonna put in these long hours. And you start working 60 hour weeks, 70 hour weeks and that check looking really good. And they say, we gonna give you a promotion. Then they put your butt on salary and they expect you to keep working 70 hours a week. <laughs> <laughs> and they ain't even paying you for it. So promotions are not the main motivator of that. So as we continue to look and see this exodus, see this trend of people living, we have got to understand the only sustaining thing that keeps people going is knowing their why. People who know their why sustain over the long term. I would have to believe that Ms. Kathleen, Mr. Rodney, they, they, they just probably enjoy sound, probably enjoy being in the background, probably feel called to that. You know, I, I mean, just the amount of time and the work that they put into that each week, the fact that they do it every single week, the fact that they've been doing it since I was a kid, you know, and continue to do it faithfully, there has to be something. I know y'all ain't paying them like a million dollars, you know, maybe not 199000 I don't know, you know, maybe, maybe close, but there has to be something more than perks. There has to be something more than the fame. It has to be something more than just a title, they do it because they're faithful, they do it because they understand the why behind it. And if we're not passing that down from generation to generation, we're never going to get the engagement that we want. So the first big idea is knowing your why. All right, I think we spent enough time on that, we'll rule on. Um, the next point is do you. Just do you, I think a lot of the problems that we have is we think that when we become a Christian that we have to start doing things that other people do. Or now we have to start walking the way that other people walk. Or now we have to totally forsake ourselves. You know, there is self-abnegation involved. There is, you know, self-denial involved. But now I'm supposed to look like him and she's supposed to look like her and we all supposed to become cultish and look like this one big family, right? No, no. See, the scripture, if we roll on, this is what God says about that in that scripture. He says, for it is God who works in you. For it is God who works in you. He called you. Roll on to the next slide. God has gifted you and positioned you to be God to your people. He wants to work through you. He wants you. The end of that scripture said that we are the light that shines in the dark places. I'm not going to your dark places. I don't know the people that you know. You can't just go back and be like, oh, we had church today. I wish you would have heard that person. No, it's not about them hearing me. You were here. Now you go out and you do you in your language and you say it in the language that they will understand because they don't know know me, but they know you. When do the people on your job know that there is God in the building? I'm going to say that again. Do the people on your job know that God is literally sitting in the next cubicle because he makes his indwelling in you? And he said, this is no longer your life that's living, but me that's living through you. So in every keystroke that you write, in every email that you send, in every conversation that you have, are they feeling like I am talking to something that is higher than me, that is beyond me? It is you. So stop trying to, oh, I wish you would have heard pastor, pastor said pastor. You know, you can quote pastor if you want, but not everybody has to know Tracy Venice to make it to the word because God put all these other people out here so that you can go out and reach the people that he don't even know that he'll never meet in his life. 
And then we get threatened when we see other people walk in their gifting and walk in their anointing. And there, there's a problem with that. There's a problem with that. See, look, God has gifted you and positioned you so that you can do the things that only you can do. And when you know the thing that God has called you to do, it no longer threatens you when you see somebody else. See, let me tell you. I'm going to demonstrate this. I actually love the Lord. I promise you I do. And I know that he heard my cry, right? Thomas, how to tell you that? I love the Lord. He heard my cry. Now, now, Raven, you do what I just tried to do. Come on. Unrehearsed. I love the Lord. He heard my cry. Which one of y'all would you, which one of us would you rather? <laughs> Clap if you would rather I sing it. you would rather Raven sing it. I mean, I, I consider myself, you know, musically inclined. You know, I'm a dancer. I got to know an eight count or two. You know, I can, you know, do a little. All I know is how to chord. I just know chords. But uh, can you give us a little something, Miss Lynn? Now, it doesn't threaten me that Raven sings better than me. I could care less that Miss Lanetta knows how to play the piano like a beast, you know, and, and I don't, you know. But ask one of us to dance. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. He's gifted and anointed me. It doesn't matter what you do. And it doesn't have to be one of the sexy jobs. You ain't got to be out in front. People know I praise God for the accountants of the world because Lord knows I can't put it together. I praise God for somebody who's type A and knows how to put stuff together. Know what God has put in you and work that thing and stop worrying about everybody else. Oh, man, we'll move on. Let it roll, Mr. Rod. <laughs> Third big idea is to know who you are. Different than the second one. I would say more important. I would actually say more important than the first two. You know, doing you is the, the thing that you do. Understanding the why is motivating you to do it. But if you don't know who you are, you're not going to be able to accomplish either one. See, we make this thing about behavior because the behavior is the indicator that we see. It's the easiest thing that we see. The worst advice I ever got when I started driving was, I won't even say who she was. She said, look, 
You're going to have some lights to just stay on on your car and people be freaking out all the time and be spending all this money. So see that check engine light? Come on for any reason. Like you could have just not closed the gas tight like enough and come on. So you know what I do? I just take a picture of what I want to see and I put it over the check engine light and bam, I'm happy. <laughs> you know, I don't even see it. True story. I'm not sure that that's the answer. <laughs> but that's what we do in life. That's what we do. Our behavior is only a check engine light to indicate to you that something is going on on the inside. But instead of trying to correct the issue on the inside, what we do is we put a picture of something that we want to see over the light so that we don't have to deal with it. But I want to tell you that the light is still on, and the light is still on because there's still a problem going on on the inside. And I want you to beware of the people who look good and make you feel comfortable, but they're walking around and they're dead on the inside. I want you to beware of the people who do church better than you, but they walking around and they only doing it out of obligation. They only do it because they know how, but you don't know what's going on in their life. I want you to beware of the people that's been sitting in this pew faithfully year after year after year, and you know that they're good. You know they're going to show up. You know they're dependable. You just keep giving them work, but you don't know anything about their actual life. It takes us all the way back to doing it for his purpose, and the purpose was relationship. If I'm only good to you when I'm serving, when I'm preaching, when I'm dancing, when I'm doing this, but we can't go get a drink and I can't just talk to you about what's going on in my life, that's not real. That's not relationship. And when everything hits the fan, I won't have anybody, and then everything's going to explode. It is people have to know that they are cared for beyond the thing that they do, beyond what they offer, that I actually want to know you. Miss Terry, how many times do people call and they only call when they want you to sing? They only call when they want you to play. But when was the last time somebody just texted and said, girl, how you doing? How many times do you have people who say you're brothers in the ministry, but they only call when they need to be counseled? They only call when they need you to pray. They only call when somebody's in the hospital. But when was the last time somebody said, Tracy, how's Tracy? This is most important because when I don't know that I can talk about what's going on, I keep it on the inside and I keep it in dark places and the devil likes to breed things in dark places and now you don't understand why so many of our young people are killing themselves, why so many of our young people feel like they, I would rather die than deal with the thing that I'm dealing with because I have nobody that I can talk to about it. I forced myself to watch the Facebook video of the man who killed himself after two days after his girlfriend did. Reoccurring thing he said throughout the thing. Y'all don't know. Y'all don't know what she was going through. Y'all don't know what I was going through. I think he said it like six or eight times. Y'all don't know. Took his life. What is it about you that people don't know? 
I'm here to tell you the church is not just a place that's supposed to be sucking you dry. It's supposed to be pouring into you and building you up. You ought to have one or two people that when it does get really bad, you can pick up the phone and you can call and you can say, hey, this is going to sound real crazy, but this is where I am right now and I just need you to hear me out. All right, this is what I'm planning to do. I know I'm not supposed to, but I just need you to say, hey, this is where I am and I need us to have a conversation. If you don't have one or two people, God help you. We all need somebody that we can call. We all need somebody that we can rely on. There are hurt people in our midst. Somebody sitting next to you is hurt right now. Somebody sitting next to you keep coming in here and keep smiling and keep acting like everything is okay and you don't understand that it took everything in them just to get to where they are. I sense that somebody in this room is literally going through hell. Satan is throwing everything that he got at you and he's whispering in your mind and he's telling you you're not enough and he's telling you that you're this and he's telling you that you're only your mistake and he's telling you that the thing that you did has now defined you. He's telling you all of these things so that he can keep you in a place where you don't know where you are because he knows the moment you know who you are, he can't do nothing. I told one of my friends when I was preparing to preach this message, I said, I got to be real careful because I feel like I preached a similar message last year, and I don't want to become one of those people that's like, you know, one trick pony, and, you know, and I never preach sin, and people's like, ah, oh, you know, he, don't, and he doesn't speak truth, and the Bible does say you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to, and like there are rules to this thing, but I firmly believe if people knew who they were, everything else would fall into place. Because knowing who I am informs the why I would do the things that I do. I don't come in here because I have to. I come in here because I want to. I come in here because of who I am. I'm not standing up and singing because I have to, because this is what you're supposed to do in church. I'm doing it because it comes out, it flows out of who I am. Preaching is not difficult for me. I need God's anointing to do it. But it's not a chore. It's work. But it flows out. It's just feels like water flowing out whether you like it or not it's just flowing out and God is doing what God does because I know and who I am but above that even the behavior even the way I act I know who I am and so when people come up and they say hey you said what you know God's still working on me I try mouth is like a sailor sometimes you know just out there getting you know and it's like yeah yeah you know I'm still a child of God, <laughs> you know. And, and, and when people are like, hey, you, you, you used to do what? You, you still do what? You feel like, yeah, yeah, you're right about it. But I'm still a child. There is nothing you can tell me about me that I don't already know myself. You can get it out if you want to. If it make you feel better, get it off of your chest. But I go home knowing I am a child of God. I wish our church would get to the point where people could talk, and young people, you probably already know this, people gonna keep talking, the old people don't, ain't gonna like what you doing, you ain't gonna like what they doing, you gonna call each other names, but at the end of the day, I am a child of God, and you can, you might not do it the way I do, and she doesn't do it the way she does, but I am a child of God. 
If you don't hear anything else, I want you to know who you are. And I want you to kill it every day. I want you to slay. I want you to slay every day. We should have preached about obedience because, you know, we had these shirts from my show. And I told Donita, my cousin, I said, hey, look, I'm wearing when I preach. I want you to wear yours, too. She wears hers last Sunday, so I just look like old news walking around. Like, see, people get on my nerves. You know what I mean? Everybody, I like your shirt. Ain't nobody told me because they already seen it before. But that's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. God, I shouldn't have told her nothing. <laughs> you know, I want you to kill it every day. Walk in your purpose. Walk in your anointing. Walk in your gifting. And if we support that culture, you will have no problem with people coming to the church. If we support that culture, if, if hanging out in the church is the exact same as if we were to all get together at your house and sit on the couch, there should be no difference. Uh, you, you got to have respect for the house. This is the Lord. I'm the Lord's house. <laughs> I can't believe you come up in here like that. He saw me when I got dressed. He saw me when I was naked, you know? And, uh, what? What is it? Yo, what is it? You really want to reach this generation? You really want to impact that? That's the culture that we need to promote. This next slide just says... I am. And I want you to think for a moment. I just want you to stop and think. Close your eyes. How do you answer that question? Who are you? And the enemy right now, because I already know how he is, he's talking to you about the thing that you did last night. He's talking to you about where you were. He's talking to you about how you felt. He's trying to distract you with all the things that you have to do today. I want you to clear all of those things out of your mind. I just want you to stop and think and answer the question, who am I? When Moses is told to go and do the thing that he doesn't feel like he could do, he asks God, who shall I say sent me? God responds. He says, tell them I am. I can imagine Moses just sitting there, like finish the sentence. (laughs) He said, tell them I am. I heard you, but what are you? I am. The enemy is whispering in your ear about the sins that you did, and God says, I am a forgiver, which makes you forgiven. The enemy is talking to you about that sickness that you've been dealing with, and he's telling you that you're going to have to deal with it forever. But God says, I am a healer, and you are healed. The enemy is talking to you about the fact that you've been trying to get this business off the ground, and it's taken years and years and years, and you keep landing in the red. But God says that I am victorious, and therefore you are as well. God says you are successful. You are 
of the head and not the tail. You are a royal priesthood. You are my beloved. You are the most beautiful thing that I created. You are my child. Whatever I need to be, the enemy talks a lot. He talks a lot of mess. And one day he's going to tell you you're this. And the next day he's going to tell you you're that. And even though there might be some truth to the matter, at the end of the day, I am a child of the I am. So whatever I need to be that day, whatever I need to be in that moment, that is who I am. Somebody ought to say I am. A child of the I am. Whatever that means to you, I am a child of the I am. The next time somebody come to you and call themselves telling you about yourself, you ought to respond, I am a child of the I am. You can't tell me nothing I don't already know because I am a child of the I am. Take it. said 35 minutes we have to 38 with the song I like it we about to be done so the only thing I want you to know if you didn't hear anything else it boils down to who you are we hear a lot about what Christianity is what we're supposed to do as Christians what our obligations are what this what that what's supposed to flow if you know who you are things will flow out of you 
naturally. You should spend time in the mirror every day telling yourself who God says you are. And the world will try to tell you who you are and they will try to get to you first. But if you don't get that foundation in there so that you stand on something solid and know the truth about you, go to the one who made you. He knows more than anybody else. And once he has spoken, it is finished, it is done. There is no other say-so to it. Those kids, I teach a lot of them every day. And more than teach, we spend a lot of time together. I feel like an uncle, sometimes feel like a daggone daddy to some of them. And it's like we have a lot of hard conversations. Some of them, even aware, it's like, okay, we got to get some discipline in order. We got to talk. And then they act like they're scared. They act like, and it's like, you, I never have a problem with what they do. Hear that. I never, ever have a problem with what they do. Oh, they cuss the teacher out. They kicking the chairs. They sitting on the desk. They're doing that. They not listening. They, I never have a problem with what they do. The, our conversations always starts with who are you? Are you just this little ghetto little kid that don't know how to act? No. Then act like it. Do you need to be on medication just to sit still? No. Then act like it. Do you have a vocabulary more than what you keep hearing on the radio? Yes. Then act like it. If you told me that that's who you were, if that's what I expected out of you, I wouldn't have a problem. All right. But since you claim to be something else, act like it. If you claim to be a child of God, if you claim to be a child of God, Schoolhouse Rock said three is the magic number. If you claim, to be a child of God. The same way I would tell them kids is the same thing I'm going to tell you. Act like it.